Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Love One Another by Pastor Sean Wood. Dave's a pretty popular guy and he's at work and he's telling his boss all the time about all these famous people that he knows. And his boss says, you know what, I'm getting tired of this. Let's put this to the test. He says, I bet you don't know all the people you think you do. And Dave says, well, let's put it to the test. And he says, what about Tom Cruise? He says, oh, yeah, no, he says, I've known Tom for years. So they jump on a plane and they, they fly over to America. They knock on Tom's door. Tom opens the door and he goes, Dave, he goes, come in. So Dave and his boss go in and they, they have a drink. And his boss is like, this is, this is unbelievable. He said, he said, I'm sorry, Dave. He said, but you know what? He said, you can't know everybody. He said, he said, uh, he said, what about the President of the United States? And I, uh, at that time, it was Obama. And Dave says, yeah, look, he says, I've known Obama for years. He said, come on. So they jump into one of the tours of the White House. And as they're going around, uh, Dave uh, catches Obama's eye and he says, Dave, you should have let me know you were here. Come in. So he goes in and he, he's in the White House and he goes into the office and, he's, and his boss is just flabbergasted. He says, oh, he says, I can't believe this, Dave. He says, but you know, he says, there's one person I know you wouldn't know. And he says, who's that? He says, the Pope. He says, oh, no. He says, I've known the Pope for years. So they get on a plane, they go over to Rome, and uh, they're, they're standing in the square waiting for the Pope to come out. And Dave says, hang on a second, he's not going to catch my eye here. So he runs up, talks to the security guards, runs up, runs out onto the balcony, surveys the crowd. He's standing there with the Pope, surveys the crowd and sees his boss laying prostrate on the ground. He says, oh, no. So he runs down. He says, what's the matter? He says, oh, he says, look, Tom Cruise, maybe. He says, the President of the United States, maybe. He says, but when you ran out on the balcony and the guy behind me taps me on the shoulder and says, who's that on the balcony with Dave? He says, it was too much. (laughs) So we all know Dave. I feel like I've preached a sermon. Let's pray and then we'll come around the word. Father, I thank you that you want to speak to us this morning and that you're always speaking to us and I ask that you would would open our hearts and our ears to hear from you this morning. We quieten ourselves in your presence and we make ourselves available for you to speak to us in your wonderful name. Amen. Okay, I want to cover one of the themes of the Gospel of John. We want to cover a couple of the major themes before we leave it. And we just can't get out of the Gospel of John without covering the theme of love. John talks about love a lot in his Gospel. John talks about love a lot in his epistle, which we're going to have a look at today. You know, I'm astounded. We don't read what we read in John chapter 13. We don't read in any of the other Gospels. And it astounds me that Jesus washes the feet of all the disciples, including Judas. That astounds me. Jesus, in full knowledge of what will happen next, still washes Judas's feet. I want to talk about loving one another. You know, we, we as the people of God, we, we want to necessarily, you know, we want to have a, a, an environment in our own lives and in our churches that facilitates the Holy Spirit. And if that's what you want, this is it. This is it. So let's have a look at what it means to love one another. Uh, one of my heroes, I haven't read too many biographies on this man, but one of my heroes uh, is a man by the name of Nelson Mandela. We all know of Nelson Mandela, don't we? 
Nelson Mandela was a man that was uh, imprisoned and harshly, harshly mistreated for many years on Robben Island. And uh, he comes out and, of course, he becomes the president of South Africa. I believe it is in 1994. I believe he's president until 1999. But, you know, when he's, when he's elected president, uh, there's some kind of a nervousness among the people of South Africa because we often forget. I love Nelson Mandela. I love what he stood for. And, and he's one of my heroes. But we often forget that there was a little bit of Malcolm X in Nelson Mandela. He had a bit of a habit of blowing stuff up just before he went in. He was, he was a revolutionary. He stood for the right cause. He, he definitely pointed towards an end to the apartheid, which I absolutely agree with. So you've got a little bit of nervousness. Are we gonna, are we, have we got the old Nelson or is there a new Nelson? What's going on here? You know? And you know what? I love what he does at his presidential inauguration. And this is what love should look like. This is what love in the kingdom of God should look like at his presidential inauguration. After being mistreated for many, many years, very harshly by the prison officers at his, at his table, at his celebration, every one of those officers are sitting at his table. Every single one of them. And he put, the, he put the minds and the hearts of a nation at ease. We have a new Nelson. South Africa is a different nation today. Because one man stood up and said, you know what? That's a huge act of leadership. To stand. He had all the power. He had all the authority. He had all the justification to seek vengeance on them people. And he dropped it. And he says, you come and sit at my table. I love what Nelson Mandela stood for. But what we see at Nelson Mandela's presidential inauguration, we should see every day in these walls. That's what we should see inside of here. And you know what is sad is quite often we are unable to affect, uh, effectively reach people for the gospel because we're too busy tearing each other apart for the gospel to flow outside of these doors. We're too busy taking chunks out of each other. We're, we're, too, we're too worried about what position we have, perhaps. Or do we look all holy and religious? I've been in Brisbane for 18 months and I've spoken to many people who once attended church. And I was horrified. I was horrified because, you know what, at, at my estimates, maybe 20 or 30% of them you know, aren't in church today and they're bitter because of a sinful episode that was exposed. Not much you can do about that. You know, there's probably 20-odd percent of the ones that I seem to speak to that, that just have a chip on their shoulder. But unfortunately, it's 40 or 50% of them, I would easily say, that don't go to church anymore because they were harshly mistreated. And we have to stop this cycle. We have to stop harming one another. If we are going to reach anybody for the gospel, we have to lay down our arms and sit at the one table. I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about loving one another and what that looks like. And the basic gospel message is we should love one another. Let's, let's, let's come to 1 John chapter 3. Starting in verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, says John. We should. This is, this is the gospel. 
I don't think it's any coincidence that the cross both points vertically and horizontally. The gospel is all about restoring broken relationships. And the first relationship is our vertical relationship with God. Our second relationship is how we deal with everybody else. And the gospel is the only thing I know that can repair torn relationships both ways. We'll get to that at the end when we come around the table of the Lord. But but we should be loving one another. Living out the gospel of Jesus Christ looks like we live in love. We need, to, we need to leave our grenades somewhere else. We need, to, we need to drop our armory. Come into the presence of God. Jesus' example of this is Jesus beautifully. But the gospel deals with all of our relationships and it's all about restoring relationships. I love the gospel, but you know, Rick Warren says that love leaves a legacy. How you treated other people... Not your wealth or your accomplishments is the most enduring impact you can leave on earth. How you treat other people is how they will remember you for years after you're not here. Let's keep reading on. Verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. This is the example that John's going to set forth now. Here's an example of what love does not look like. We should not be like Cain. What was the problem with Cain and Abel? Firstly, we see the problem with Cain is his disjointed relationship with God. When when you have two people... And any one of them is out of relationship with God, you have a recipe for trouble. Someone's likely to get hurt. You have two people in the room who are living in harmony with God, you often have love. So our first relationship, Cain uh, displays uh, a disharmony with God. He's, He's an example of a failure to love. He has a godly upbringing, but he chooses to hate Remember, God comes to Cain and says to him, sin crouches at your door. You must have mastery over it. You have a choice here, Cain. We have a choice as well. Love is actually a choice. We're going to get to that as we move on. So the example of Cain and Abel, and we'll have a look at envy as we move along as well, but it is envy that that slew Abel. There's a difference between envy and jealousy. But we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. This is how we know love. Let's come down to a display of love. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. They're harsh words. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This is how we know love. Christ not only spoke of love, but if you want to know how much God loves you, cast your eyes to the cross. Love is... Isn't, it doesn't reside only in feelings. Love never resides only in sentiment. Love is an action. Love is a verb. Love does not demand. I love this about Jesus. 
All of Jesus is about giving. All of Jesus is about what he can give to us. Love doesn't make demands. Love doesn't have any fine print. Love doesn't have any strings attached. I just want your betterment. Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Knowing love is impossible if it is only words and sentiment. R.C. Sproul, a fantastic theologian, a Presbyterian theologian, but a, a gentleman who passed away late last year, he says that in the New Testament, love is more of a verb than a noun. It has more to do with acting than with feeling. The call to love is not so much a call to a certain state of feeling as it is a call to a quality of action. How we interact with one another. Let's keep reading on. By this we should know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. Now John removes the S in commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another. And for John the Apostle, there is no S and there is no differentiating those two. For John the Apostle, you don't cut a line between people who believe in Christ over here and those who love. He says, if you believe in Christ, you love. He doesn't doesn't divide a line here. He, He can't see a difference. He doesn't see two, he sees one. The commandment of Christ is that we love one another. We love the verses that say, you know, you have all of your prayers answered, but can I just press the pause button for a moment? Ask whatever you will and you shall receive it. True prayer always sounds like thy will be done, not my will be done. And whenever you are praying under the first pretense, your prayers will be answered if you are living according to his commandments. You'll have whatever you want if you are praying according to God's will. C.S. Lewis says that prayer is actually us readjusting our will. (laughs) Believing in Christ is not a belief that resides either in our intellect either, but it is a belief where we cast all of our trust and confidence in Christ. Let's finish out 1 John before we go to 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what, he, what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. You want to remain close to God? You want to abide in God? It looks like we love one another. If you're disjointed with one of your brothers, if you, if you have a chip on your shoulder, if you have a festering wound of resentment and unforgiveness, it puts us out of harmony with God. 
Let us turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I remember my first pastor, uh, his name was Wilf. I remember he was talking to me about an incident that had happened. And the whole time he's talking to me, I keep referring to the other person that was involved. And he, he stops for a moment. He says, you know what? He said something that I have never forgotten. He said, you know what? He said, when you stand in the presence of God and you give an account for your life, he said, you will not look over your shoulder because nobody else will be in the room. And when it comes to, I don't want to go to church anymore because somebody said this and I don't want to go to church anymore because somebody's done that to me and I can't even go back there. Do you know what? When you stand before God, that person's not going to be in the room. God is only going to be concerned about what you have done. The first epistle of Peter, chapter 4, verse 8, he speaks about much leading up to this and then he says, above all. So above all, all of, all of the other stuff I've said, he now comes to a crunch in verse 8 and he says, above all, you've got to love one another earnestly. You can't escape from this. You read any epistle in the New Testament, you can't escape from loving one another as the foundation for everything that we do. And then he goes on to say that love covers over a multitude of sins. Does that mean that if we're loving towards someone that all of our sins, God sweeps them under the carpet? No, what it means is when there's an atmosphere of love, even the smallest to some of even the larger offences, they just bounce off. So what does it look like to live in love? This is, this is God's mirror for love. This is God's way of judging how we're going. And this is a very harsh mirror to look into, friends. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as we work our way through here, as we work through the checklist, God puts his finger on some areas. I don't think anybody gets this perfectly right. But we all want to move in the... We all want to uh, adopt an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit moves freely in our lives and moves freely among us here in this church. You know, Paul's talking to the Corinthians and they're a, they're a troubled bunch of people. They're... You know, in pastoral circles, I mentioned this to someone the other day, you know, in pastoral circles we refer to uh, sometimes people that swing from the rafters. The Corinthians, they slept on the rafters. These guys lived there. These guys were cray-cray. They were, the problem with the Lord's Supper in, in chapter 11, what the problem is, is they were completely disjointed and irreverent about what they were doing. They were coming around the table of the Lord and one guy would have his belly full of bread. Another guy would go hungry. Because they had wine, half of them were drunk before they even finished it. And Paul's going, you guys are missing the point. And then we come to spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit is moving in their midst and he's moving in their lives. But Paul says, you got it all out of disjoint and harmony. Everything's all over the place. And it is no coincidence that when Paul is addressing spiritual gifts, sandwiched between chapter 12 and chapter 14 is chapter 13 in Corinthians. It says, we need to love. In fact, he ends chapter 12 with, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Oh, the gifts are nice, but they come and go, says Paul. Let's have a look at what, part, what Paul says about love. C.S. Lewis says that we should not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbour. Act as if you did. Don't wait for the feelings to come. They may never come. Act as if you love someone. 
Chapter 13, verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And the love that Paul is talking about here is an agape love. It's agape love, and it is a verb. It is a self Denying love. If we don't come here wanting the betterment and benefit of others, just as Christ did. Whatever we do here, if there's no love, we're clanging cymbals. And our words are empty. Our intentions are empty. Our programs will fizzle out. But if you have love, so what is it to love? Let's, have a, let's, let's work our way through Paul's checklist. Love is patient and kind. And the, the, another word for patience there is long-suffering. It is, it is one who has the power to avenge, but delays due to patience and mercy. Just like Nelson Mandela. He had all the power to avenge, just like Jesus Hanging upon the cross, he had all the power to wipe out all, every single person that was sitting at the foot of the cross reviling him. He could have clicked his fingers and wiped them out. He chose not to. And kindness is seen in the simple acts of kindness. Paul goes on and says, love does not envy and it does not boast. What's the difference between envy and jealousy? If you are envious, you are covetous and wanting of something that does not belong to you. If you are jealous, you are angry and you, have, and you are provoked due to a right reason of what belongs to you. So God is a jealous God. Why? God is jealous over Israel because they are his people and they are giving their heart and their attention to idols. He is jealous over them. And enviousness is what slew Abel. Envy is what enslaved Joseph. And envy is what will see Jesus upon the cross. The Pharisees were envious of him. Envy is often covered and cloaked in religious piety. It's it's, it's, it's the epitome of hypocrisy that, that the Bible talks about. When the Bible talks about hypocrisy, it's, it's an outward act of righteousness that is covering up an inward evil motive. Pharisees. No, no one can please someone who is envious. No, you can never please them. Nothing is ever good enough for them. When they have finished picking all the faults on the list and you complete all those tasks, they will just develop another list. And boasting is somebody who parades themselves. So love does not envy. Love does not boast. It is not arrogant. Arrogance is being self-focused. All arrogance is rooted in pride and God will wage war on pride in your heart until it is empty. Rude is an inconsiderate lack of manners. It's exactly what we would think that it means. Love, it says, it does not boast, it's not arrogant, it's not rude and it does not insist on its own way. Yes, that includes even if you're the pastor. You don't get to insist on your own way. You don't get to insist on having everything your own way. This is about a team. This is about togetherness. 
This is not playing power cards at a table saying, you know what, I get all the say here. Love doesn't do that. Love is not irritable. It doesn't allow ourselves to become provoked. That's what Paul is talking about there, is that uh, irritable or resentful. Irritable is allowing ourselves to be provoked by certain circumstances and a resentfulness is a storing up of other people's wrongs. (laughs) The problem with writing lists about everybody else's wrongs is usually the list that they're writing about you is longer. A resentfulness is a, is a storing up of what has happened over many years. You know, many years ago, such and such looked at me in that manner. Well, also, resentfulness can be arriving at assumptions that, that assume an evil motive without any evidence. It's assuming the worst, that people must be up to something all the time. Let's keep... Going on. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't wait for somebody to fall in a hole and then be glad about it. No. In fact, it rejoices when people are blessed. We should be rejoicing with people. We should be focusing on the positive that happens with inside of people. We should be sharing in people's victories and triumphs, not waiting to launch a grenade when somebody messes up. And then Paul comes down to the end of this paragraph and he says, love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. And when love bears all things, it covers up all things. It's, it's, to sum up what bears means, it, it will not announce any wrongdoing by a good person. You know, we're not, we're not in a hurry to announce people's faults. We bear all things, we, we believe all things, which is assuming a purer motive. And hope is having optimism, not pessimism. Ever been around people where it's just like putting your thumb on the negative terminal of a battery? It's like they just drain because everything is negative. Then Paul goes on to say that it endures all things. Love has no boundaries. Mr. Heap. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. We don't have the completeness. Love is the foundation that the Holy Spirit builds everything else on in our lives. Paul rounds out... In verse 13, he says, Now faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. And what Paul is doing is he's summing up where our attention should be. We should be focused on faith. We should be focused on hope, a confident expectation in God. And we should be focused on love. And the greatest of these is love. The one that lays all of the foundations is love. Stu, if I could ask you to come up and tinker away. Who here likes mayonnaise? We're going to come around the table of the Lord now as we sort of bring this to a close. But, but who here likes mayonnaise? I actually particularly like mayonnaise. But mayonnaise bewilders me because when we look at mayonnaise, uh, two things that are completely diametrically opposed are able to consist and stay together. And that's oil and water. That doesn't make sense, does it? Oil is completely diametrically opposed 
to water, but in mayonnaise, they're able to coexist and stay together. And it's all because of the emulsifier, which is eggs. And that is such a beautiful picture of Christ. You know, men and God are so diametrically opposed. We, we as men want our own ways. We want to, we want to be the, the pioneers of our own lives. And we're so set against the will of God to begin with, but we are able to coexist with God because of the person of Jesus Christ. He's like the egg in our mayonnaise. And so it is as we sit here amongst each other this morning that that all the broken relationships that happen not only inside of these walls, but the broken relationships that may exist in your family and hurts from the past. The only way for restoration is in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we come around the table of the Lord this morning, I want us to eat and drink together in celebration of who Christ is and in celebration of the gospel message, which means our relationships can be fully restored. We're going to eat and drink together. And then, you know what? uh, What we see in South Africa with Nelson Mandela is the nation goes ahead in leaps and bounds under his leadership. And the reason is that so much of what had happened in the past, everybody just forgot about it. Everybody just dropped it. Everybody just buried it. And then everybody was able to move on. And this morning, I want to give everybody an opportunity that as we come around the table of the Lord, if, if you need prayer for any reason, then I want to open up the altar. I believe there's people here this morning that have been hurt in church. Some people came here looking for a prophecy this morning and I've got one for all of you. Somewhere, somehow, you, you hang around church long enough, you're likely to get offended. But too many of us are trying to sail ships and we're carrying too much cargo. And I want to give you the opportunity today not to worry about what anybody else has ever said to you. Not to worry about how you may have been treated by leadership, how you may have been treated by family members. Wrongfully or not, today is the opportunity for you to lighten the cargo on your ship. Today's the day where you get to pick up those barrels and all that, just throw it overboard and just move on. We can't control what anybody else does, but we can control what we do. We can control what our reactions will be but we can't move forward in God while we keep hanging on to these festering wounds. If you need to come to the altar this morning, let's just take a few moments in the presence of Christ just to share around the table of the Lord this morning. You know, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. His body was broken that we could be whole. There's people here that have got gaps. There's people here that are carrying far too much weight. Let us eat together in remembrance of why Jesus came. And as they're all seated together, Jesus takes the cup 
And he says, this is my blood poured out for you. And this is his blood poured out for you. That today you can be free. That today you can have a freedom from guilt. Why go through life shackled any longer? Quite often we're shackled, but we're the ones hanging on to the shackles. Let us drink together this morning in his presence. Jesus, I want to thank you that you came to establish a community, a community of people that love one another, a community of imperfect people that that say the wrong thing at times, that think the wrong thing at times, that, that do the wrong thing at times, but a community of people that embrace a saviour that can restore relationships, that can heal up those festering wounds, that can, that can lighten the cargo on our ships. And it's to you, Jesus, this morning that we come and stand in your presence. Lord, my prayer is that you would lighten everybody's load in this room this morning. That you would remove the excess baggage that we have carried for far too long. If that's you this morning, if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I've carried this for too long, I want to move on, I want to, I just want to throw this overboard, I don't want to I don't want to carry this anymore. Then I want to invite you to come down the front and the, and the leadership team are available to pray with you. But let us resolve this morning to live the gospel and love one another and drop all of these offences and allow God to take us on in Him. So let us, let us sing together and if you need prayer this morning then I open up the altar for you. May we say, Lord, we give you all of our heart. We give you all of our heart. If that's you this morning and you need prayer, then I open up the front for prayer. But let's sing together. You can go to any country you like. You can walk into any different church you like. But there is one common factor, one common denominator, Jesus. If we agree on that one, we're amongst friends. Jesus is the dividing point for Islam. Islam accepts all of our Old Testament, but when we get to Jesus, we disagree. Many disagree when we arrive at Jesus. This, this gospel has exposed the evidence and the signs for Christ. And now as we come to the top of this mountain, everybody has to come to a verdict for themselves. Everybody has to arrive, has to weigh all the evidence that we have in this gospel and has to arrive at a verdict. And John wants to bring everybody to that point now. It's where Thomas got to. It's where Mary Magdalene is. It's what will lead Peter to be crucified upside down. Eventually we'll lead Paul to be beheaded under Nero. We'll see John cast onto the Isle of Patmos. I'm going to close in prayer now and I'm going to ask the worship team if they can come back and play one of the songs. And This morning, if this is you, this morning, if you've reached that line and you need prayer and we'd love to pray with you. Or you might just be sitting here this morning going, you know what? I just need Jesus to breathe on me for a moment. I, I just 
want to ask him to breathe in my life today. Then we want to pray with you this morning as we close. So can we stand as I pray? And if you need prayer this morning, then please make your way to the front. Father, I want to thank you this morning that you bring everybody to this line. Jesus, I want to make a personal confession in front of everybody here. You're my Lord and you're my God. And I pray that that would be the fullness of my life and the fullness of all of our lives. I pray that as we sing this song, I pray that as we wake tomorrow, I pray that as we join in our life groups during this week, Father, that you would breathe in us every day. Oh, we need your breath in us. I pray that you would take this word and breathe upon the coals of our hearts this morning, I pray. In the wonderful and glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.